Hey guys, I'm Pete. And I'm Alex. And you're listening to the Kick Push Pivot Podcast. I'm a former Fortune 500 consultant dedicated to the idea of innovation and growth. And I used to manage marketing tours for the Rolling Stones, focused on creating one-of-a-kind customer experiences. On this podcast, we interview people faced with the decision to kickstart innovation, push through doubt, or pivot to something new. We hope you find something inspiring or encouraging as you listen. Okay, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Kick, Push, Pivot. We have a special guest today who's got an interesting background. Look forward to introducing you to uh, Brian Evans from Comprehensive Integrated Care. But before I do so, Alex, my co-host. Hello. Hey, hello. Hey, everybody. Welcome back for another episode. Happy to be back. And uh, thank you to all the listeners and followers and subscribers out there. We got another good one for you today. Excellent. Excellent. Well, Brian, um, good to have you on the show. Thanks for joining. Your official title is the medical director for the Reno location of Comprehensive Integrated Care, and you're also the VP of Physician Recruitment. So you got a couple hats you're wearing today, um, but welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I do have a few hats going. <laughs> well, you have an interesting background, so we want to take the listeners way, way back to the early days of how you got to where you are today. Um, I know you have some experience in the military as well as now in the private sector of the healthcare market. So why don't you share with the audience where you grew up and how you got into your first stage of life, which would be the military. Okay. Happy to do the origin story. The origin story. Yes. (laughs) Always good. Uh, so I, I grew up in Arizona. Uh, I had always known that I wanted to go into the military just through experiences with family, friends. I, I would be the first one in my immediate family to actually go into the military. Uh, and part of that time, I, I also knew that I wanted to be do something in medicine, be a physician. So I remember some conversations, high school buddies and couple guys that were feeling that they were going on to special warfare in the Navy, the SEALs. And I was saying, oh, that'd be cool if I could be a doc for the SEALs. And actually, that's what it turned out to be. So I did my undergrad in Tucson, Arizona, at UVA, moved on to medical school at GW in DC. And during that time at DC, the Navy actually paid for my med school. It was called the HPSP scholarship program. So they paid for my tuition. They gave me a little stipend each month to uh, try to live in DC, which was very expensive. And, uh, and then I was uh, uh, ensign during, during medical school. Once I finished medical school, I went to the Naval Hospital San Diego Balboa, did my internship. And then following that, and then I spent uh, time at Coronado Island at the Amphib base at, at Buds and just down there and essentially just was a paid athlete for a while. Uh, mm-hmm. And then I went to Navy dive school. Uh, and from there, I spent the rest of my active duty time in Southeast Asia and Guam and all over that area with special warfare and submariners and just making great uh, relationships and some lifelong friends there. And unfortunately had to move on to the rest of my career. And I got out of the Navy uh, and did my residency back in Tucson at U of A, radiology residency. During that whole time, I was still reserves, finished up my four-year 
uh, residency and then moved on to my fellowship in Seattle at UW in interventional radiology. Wow. That's quite a path. You glossed over a pretty interesting career there, but <laughs> yeah, but I wouldn't before... trade it for anything. It's I've got some really good stories to tell and no debt. So it, it worked oh, out well. That's awesome. And army Navy football game is tomorrow. I believe I'm oh, yeah. sure you'll be watching. Yes, I will. Oh yeah. Well, if you want to join me, I'm taking my, uh, my three-year-old, almost four-year-old son to check out the, uh, the Hornet, which is an aircraft carrier anchored off the coast of Alameda here in California. And uh, they're playing the Army-Navy game on the boat. On a big oh, screen. that'll be fun. So it's going to blow his little mind. I'm excited about that. <laughs> <laughs> but um, it actually reminds me of a good dad joke. Are you ready for it? Uh-oh, Send here it. we go. All right. Send it. So, so I heard that the Navy is beginning to recruit blind men. Do you know why? They have too many seamen? Uh, close. Did I get it? <laughs> close. They... They're sending them out to sea. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, nice. I know. It's, it's just cringe and bear through it. It's okay. Yeah. <laughs> Is there any stories you could share from your first half of your career? You mentioned a couple interesting ones um, uh, while you were in the Navy working with you know various uh, warriors all overseas. Are any stories you could share with the audience just to give us a sense of what it's like to be a doctor uh, in that environment? So when I, when I was based on Guam, I, I've got a couple stories, one good and one not so good. Uh, so when I lived on Guam, I spent very little time there. But when we were there, we ran the hyperbaric chambers. So it was a, it's a big tourism site for Southeast Asia. And so often a lot of those folks come over without any dive experience and they come out and do some dives with very little adult supervision and then they end up in our chamber from getting decompression sickness. So mm-hmm. that was that was always an entertaining thing. Never did it happen where we had to uh, dive a actual Navy personnel because they actually know what they're doing. It was always civilian <laughs> divers that we were having to put in our Navy chamber because we were the only, the, the big thing on the island. Uh, but in, in terms of being the Navy and what you said about being with warriors, it is you do come across and make great uh, relationships and friendships with sometimes guys that you can end up losing. And when I was in San Diego at the Amphib base, I had a really good friend, Glenn Doherty. So lived with him for a while. And if you may recognize his, his name, he was one of the SEALs killed in Benghazi. Mm-hmm. So uh, being part of that community is uh you're just one degree separated from some amazing guys that we have uh lost and uh and it's uh knowing that they were doing what they wanted but it's still hard for all of us still left behind uh remembering what fantastic dudes they were that's incredible wow well we again just we thank you for your service and for your your colleagues that you work with my my brother's in the army and my dad has served in the army as well. So I know the sacrifice is real. So we appreciate that on the show here. Thank you. Totally. So, you know, getting out of the Navy and into the, the private practice space, can you share a little bit about how that journey went and how you got connected to where you are today? So it was a journey that I didn't know I was on until I was kind of made some good transitions. After my resident asked for fellowship, I moved on to my first post fellowship job with a great group in Sacramento. 
And I was with them for 10 years, and it was a traditional diagnostic and eventual radiology group. And there got to have some fantastic mentors, got to take care of great patients and do some really high level procedures and enjoyed my time there. But I was seeing just the writing on the wall with the way interventional radiology was moving in that there's there's a difference in being a diagnostic radiologist and interventional radiology that we interventional radiologists like to be able to provide and do procedures and see the patients long term and sometimes it's just not, it can't be that way when you're part of a hospital system unfortunately it's just the nature of the beast so across the country there are some uh some locations that are building outpatient interventional radiology suites. They're called office-based lab or um, OIOS, office interventional suites. And where you can do a lot of these sort of procedures that we do in the hospital and take them to an outpatient setting. So I, I started getting educated on all of this and evaluating, see how this is done. And uh, I met uh, another really good mentor, Joel Rainwater, who had started these sort of centers in Arizona and spending more and more time with him and his organization, I was able to transition into that organization. And now I'm the VP of physician recruitment, the medical uh, medical director of our renal site. And we're establishing locations all over the West coast now. And I think we're providing, yeah, it's, I, I love that transition, but the, the scary part of that transition was I was leaving a W-2 paycheck in my previous mm-hmm. group going to be an entrepreneur and owner. And uh, that's scary. I was, I yeah. was giving up a, a really good uh, group. I was giving up a really good paycheck that I could count on to something unknown. But I think mm-hmm. with that unknown comes some great opportunities. Absolutely. Did you did you have a wife and kids at the time when you switched to being an entrepreneur? Oh yeah, that 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 makes it extra, uh, extra saucy when you have right. kids. And, yeah, you got to provide. Uh-huh. It's got to be stressful. Yeah, it is, but I'm happy for the transition. Sure, that's amazing. Well, that's. Uh, I feel like you were probably trained to take on challenges before you took on this challenge, but <laughs> just a little bit. Yeah, I think it's good for the audience to hear, though, like starting on your own, an entrepreneur, it's still scary, even for someone that has a, probably a pretty high threshold for uh, for risk, like yourself, that uh, the business the business world is, is, is its own beast, its own challenges. So, it is. Yeah, I, I think it's amazing. What, what are some other obstacles that you face, you know, just diving into the entrepreneurship side of things? It, the obstacles, the, the one, that transition away from security, and two, when we are going into new markets, because we have locations coming out of the ground in New Mexico, multiple Arizona, California, uh, Nevada, Utah, Oregon, and soon Idaho. So we're going into new markets where we're just getting established, even though we have really good relationships with different payers, uh, large payers in the country, there's always some local payers and local hospital systems that we need to negotiate their politics. And Mm. we're coming into a place where they've always 
had control of the market and were starting to take some of that market share. And often that doesn't, isn't received well. And so what mm-hmm. we do is we just do what we do and we do it really well. And then the, the physicians in the community sees it and then eventually embrace it. Speaking yeah. about those politics, are there actual like legislative barriers when these hospitals are, when you're coming into like this hospital's area where they have like laws set up, you can't do this, you can't do that, anything like that? Or is it more mostly just word of mouth type of stuff? It's, it's not politics with legislature. It's more uh, politics with dealing with the, uh, the physicians and getting, uh, getting, establishing a referral pattern, establishing mm-hmm. our names in the community that we're just not trying to come in and uh, mm-hmm. take their patients and, and leave. We're actually trying to provide a very good service, at a affordable cost to the patients, the payer systems, and and uh, and make it easy for the referring docs and the patients to do what needs to be done. Got it. Yeah, that makes sense. And you mentioned some of the other barriers or, or things coming up is, is like CMS, right? They're they're kind of the big 800-pound gorilla as it relates to patient procedures and reimbursement. There's been a lot of change out there. And I, I'd love to hear more from your perspective as someone that's working all across multiple states and staying up multiple locations. What are some of the things you're seeing uh, as it relates to that type of thing? Yeah, that's a good question. And that's something that's always changing. It's a target that's always changing. The CMS controls a lot of the, a significant amount of medical dollars, like all of them. And when CMS changes some of the rules, it can affect physicians. Something that has happened recently is a decrease in the physician fee schedule. And that really affects our OBL site of service, office-based lab or site of service 11. I think when this new legislation was coming out, they, the goal was to cut the physician fee schedule by upwards of 20, 22%. The end result is, uh, in, for our perspective, it's been cut by 9 to 11% for different, uh, different procedures that we do in the OBL side of service. What that means across the country is that many of these OBLs maybe out of business because they can't handle a 10 to 11% uh, reimbursement cut because they're already running lean to provide the service they need to do. Right. That, and that not only affects the, the owners and the physicians of that, that organization, but it affects the patients because that's another site of service that the patients now don't have access to. So then the patients are pushed back to the hospital and for all and at the hospital, what do you run into? You run into uh, inefficiencies. There's mm-hmm. increase in infection risk, increased costs to the payers, uh, but and then the the patients themselves. It's difficulty negotiating the system. Uh, parking is difficult. Getting lost in the hospital. Uh, it's just it is just a more difficult and stressful situation uh, for the patients. Mm-hmm. So that's yeah. what we're trying to do. We're trying to create an organization where we're creating a efficient, cost-effective site of service uh, that the patients actually enjoy as much as you can going to the doctor's office, enjoy going to. Absolutely. Yeah. I would say, you know, the model that you guys are bringing to market in some of these places you're working, you know, New Mexico, Arizona, California, you know, the Northwest, 
those are all areas I think that are probably in dire need of support because high population areas, right? Especially California um, and people need options. They do. And, and where our locations are, many of them are in areas where the patients have been underserved for quite a while. So when we come in and establish relationships with the community, uh, it goes over really well once we get past those initial barriers that we talked about and, and the community ends up embracing us and it just helps build the success for us. And, uh, and then those physicians themselves that are referring to us, that's their patients are getting taken care of easily and quickly. So the patients going back to them are happier and then talk about them that their physician's doing the right thing for them. Absolutely. Yeah. And one of the things you mentioned earlier to us was the idea that not only is it good for the patients and the costs make more sense, but there's also a huge benefit to the physician themselves to become a part of a, of a group like that. Can you share a little bit more about what that looks like for the actual surgeon? Yeah, sure. Happy to. At the end of the day, all of us want to provide a good service to the patients uh, have fun at work and go home to our families. No matter what specialty you're in or field of business you're in, you ultimately want to uh, spend time, I think, doing things that you like to do that may not always be work. So when when physicians are part of some of these centers, surgery center, OBL, or just an outpatient practice, they can actually control their time. They can be as efficient as they want to be. Uh, and maybe they benefit financially as well. But I think the, the best thing about these outpatient centers is that if you come into them and you syndicate into, say, a surgery center, you're actually part of an owner of it. And then you, have, you can have control over scheduling and staff and, and your day. So uh, there's pride of ownership in that. And that's and that goes off to another thing is that these surgery centers are only as effective and successful as the physicians want them to be. So to have uh, to be that to have the success that you want it to have is you need physicians to be involved and wanting to be there for it. Yeah, and that's what absolutely. that's what we do. We're completely physician owned. And when physicians are part of the surgery center and they're part of the, the board of that surgery center, if they decide or make a decision of how they want to proceed forward with either purchasing an expensive piece of equipment or, or bringing on another physician, they actually can implement the decision that they made. It doesn't go on to another uh, committee or board. It's them and then they make the decision and then it can be implemented. Mm-hmm. You spoke about what physicians do outside of work, and I think that's a really important piece to touch on because I feel like sometimes maybe people think that doctors are like not even real people because they, you know, they, they're just constantly helping people and they don't understand, they don't realize like, yeah, of course they have lives outside of the doctor's office too, right? And I think that burnout is like a, a, real, a real thing that we see in the healthcare space all the time with these doctors that are just overworked. They don't get to, you know, have fun. Maybe don't don't see their families enough. Um, can you speak to maybe what you do outside of work for fun and kind of to relax? Sure. Uh, yeah, I think docs, like anybody else, needs some sort of decompression or side gig or something else other than medicine. Uh, I I love to CrossFit. 
and I'm a runner and been, uh, been in fitness for quite a long time. I would love to start converting sprinter bands someday. I've got major that is awesome. up, up here in Northern California, I have major, uh, van envy. Uh, so <laughs> at, at some point Lots it's going to happen. Uh, may, yeah, I think that would be a lot of fun and maybe go old school and put like a, uh, just a, one of those murals on the side of the van. That'd be, Oh, oh nice. Get a little so, airbrush going. Yeah. It's yeah. an airbrush of, uh, of, uh, yeah, I don't know. It could be wild, but, uh, <laughs> <Yeah. clears throat> I think just being outside, uh, out in the mountains camping, uh, and have, I think that's, that's what I love to do. Super that's cool. Awesome. Yeah. I yeah. grew up, uh, windsurfing and camping up and down the West coast. So spent plenty of time in the back of a van, sleeping out, you know, sleeping outside. So, uh, I love that. <laughs> yeah, I can see this. And, uh, you know, we were joking earlier about, you know, kind of the retro vibe. So I could see you easily going out for a campsite with your airbrushed, you know, Econoline van that's been jacked up, <laughs> you know, with some bigger tires on it. And you can bring your boom box out too and listen to some music in the morning. Yeah. After cooking, boom cooking box. Gotta bring it back. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. Well, we really enjoyed our conversation today, Brian. It's been really interesting to hear your background, your transition um, into comprehensive integrated care and some of the things you do to help, you know, increase the life and care for patients as well as physicians as well as part of the, the model you guys bring to the table. Are there any nuggets you can give for the audience, um, listeners here about just from your life experiences, maybe someone that's a surgeon looking to, you know, get into a more flexible situation or maybe someone coming through medical school and looking for what, what's next? Well, for folks coming through medical school is uh, once you get out and you've done your completed your fellowship and, uh, and then you're onto your first, first job, just learn and absorb as, as much as you can from that. <clears throat> and that way you're as accessible as you can be for when you if, if you can have the opportunity to get out of that and have your own outpatient practice, be around really good mentors for as long as you can learn from them, uh, hone your skills. And then, then, uh, I think you can be extremely successful in going into an outpatient setting. Very cool. And what about a physician that's already, you know, be working for a large hospital system, maybe even for a surgery center, they might be looking for ideas on how to balance uh, their life a little more or maybe even make a little bit more money. What are your thoughts there? Give me a call. I'm happy to chat. <laughs> <laughs> like That's that. right. Yeah. And sp speaking of that, how can people get a hold of um, and learn more about uh, comprehensive integrated care? So you can uh, find us at CICcenters.com, and that's our uh, main website. And then that can link you to our uh, other sister, sister website, Comprehensive Surgical Care, uh, ASC. And that can then just discuss and gives you information about all of our surgery centers that are coming out of the ground. But like I said, we're, we've got Albuquerque, a bunch in Arizona, including a new one in Yuma, which is, uh, which is doing fantastic. And that's a really cool and community that's really embracing. Uh, then we have uh, Reno, soon a Vegas. We've got Salt Lake City uh, and did I say Albuquerque? Albuquerque, New Mexico. Mm -hmm. uh, so uh, we're expanding and we're expanding quickly. We've got 
uh, a good development uh, real estate developer behind us that is identifying locations. And uh, I think we're, we're just at the beginning of a really fantastic growth period and some good success. That's awesome. Very good. I love it. And um, I think to end the show, I have one more dad joke for you that hopefully redeem how awful the first one was. Are you ready for it? Here we go. Yeah. All right. Why does the Norwegian Navy have barcodes on the sides of their ships? I don't know. Because they scan scan the Navy. There's got to be something there. That's right. So they scan the Navy in. Ah, uh, nice. <laughs> support. <laughs> oh, Almost awful. got it. Yeah. <laughs> scan the Navy in. Uh, too good. Well, hey, Brian, thanks for coming on the show. Thank you for your service. Great conversation today. I'm sure people will look you up. And if we hear any listeners interested in learning more, we'll definitely connect them with you, uh, physicians that are looking for help and the, and the incredible stuff you do for outpatient facilities. Well, um, thanks for having me. Our pleasure. Yeah. Thanks, Brian. It's been, it's been really awesome having you on. And thanks to all the listeners out there that continue to uh, follow and subscribe. Uh, we really appreciate you guys listening. Thank you for listening. Be sure to follow us on Facebook at KPP Podcast. If you'd like to be on the show or know someone who would make a great guest, feel free to reach out. Hope to see you next time.